This morning, I invite you to turn to James chapter 5. We're going to be looking at, um, in particular, at verses uh, 7 through 11. Uh, This morning's message is on suffering. I knew this message was coming for uh, quite a while, obviously for over a year. I didn't know we'd be having it on this day, and, and, you know, I would be preaching out of a season for me that's uh, been very difficult and a season of struggle, season of pain, and God has a great sense of timing. Uh, I didn't know I'd be preaching this message on this kind of, or during this season, um, I'm not sure about the humor of it, but uh, it may be funny in a couple years, but it's not funny now. And, and I know I'm not the only one hearing that story from, from that little boy even this past Sunday, knowing some of the stories of what uh, many of you are going through, some of the people even coming up after the service saying, I needed this because this is what's going on in my life, and, and hearing some of the just uh, stories uh, of suffering um, there's a lot of us, uh, I would imagine, that are going through this right now. And uh, if you're going through suffering right now, I want you to hear this up front. Um, there's hope. There's hope. James writes, and I think this is not James, this is God writing to us. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You will also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purposes or the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James uh, shifts gears here in verse 7 uh, of this letter. And the previous chapters, and specifically the last couple, are very, I would say, prophetic, truth telling, hard hitting. You're in the middle of this mess. Stop it. Get out. It's wrong. This is how Christians live, and you're not living like Christians. And specifically, this previous verses of chapter 5, weep, howl, repent. And you see that in chapter 4 there. You know, grieve, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, weep. You hear all these, like, Old Testament prophet kind of words. And he shifts gears in verse 7 to this, uh, I would say, the pastoral, compassionate, caring, nurturing uh, gear, right, or or, a way of a shepherd. He's concerned for them because they're in suffering. And what what are they suffering? Well, I mean, we've gone through the book of James, and and they're going through all kinds of things, discrimination, poverty, losing their spouse, losing their parents, being stolen from, seeing loved ones die from injustice of stolen wages. They're fighting each other in the church, Christians, brothers and sisters, treating each other so poorly and, and saying things to each other. And all of it's suffering. All of this is. It all counts as suffering. And sometimes we have this list of, no, that doesn't count as suffering. This does count as suffering. No, it's suffering, all of this. And James is concerned. You can tell as he starts to read this. And it's so personal and it's so real. I mean, he knows some of these people, and he begins 
to write to them, and I think this is God trying to help them understand, no, this is, these are young Christians. They, they don't understand it all, and they say, no, this is, how, this is how people who follow Christ handle suffering. How do you handle suffering? You ever sit back and evaluate how you handle suffering? What's your go-to response? James' words, there's a word he says over and over again and over, be patient, verse 7. Be patient, verse 8. Patience, verse 10. There's a patient, patient, patient. He says, be patient. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late, late rains. You also be patient. Is your go-to plan when suffering comes? Patience. I don't know about you, but that's often not the first thing that comes to mind. And I grew up, spent some time in Kansas, like 10 years, half of my life, childhood in Kansas, and, and we were surrounded by a farmland, watched the, the farmers every year work the crops, till the land. And now we live out where there's farm in our backyard, and we watch the farmers do their thing every year. And, and it's the seasonal thing, and they just got done plowing up the field, getting it ready to plant seeds, and finally planting the seeds, and, and then fertilizing and spraying and all that stuff. And, and it's all this, you know, hurry, 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 get all this stuff in, get it in, get it, get it in, and then it's just... Quiet. What do you do? It's growing. So a farmer waits. But a farmer, what a farmer does over time is they just look to the harvest. That's all they can do. They have no control over the weather. They have no control over that little seed. They have no control over pests. And they have no control over anything. They could spray some stuff nowadays, but still. Waiting. Waiting. And James says, in suffering, we should be like the farmer, patient, waiting for the harvest. The last thing you want to do when you're suffering is wait. Right? Hey, let's wait. I got a good idea. This hurts a lot. I want to wait. I want to be patient. No, what do we want to do? We want it to stop. This is so not fun. Especially when it's not just you have a season, but what if you're stacking up seasons and, and they're all going continuously? Like you've got suffering here and then something else comes. Suffering here and suffering. Oh, I got an idea. Let's be patient. No, we want it to stop, and James, and God comes in. He says, no, 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 you got to understand. I want you to be patient, and he starts off with this, this idea. He says, hey, look, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Be patient in verse 8, for the coming of the Lord is at hand, and, and, and he uses this other word here. He says, establish your hearts, right? Establish your hearts in verse 8. 
for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So a farmer, what a farmer does, plants it, and then they turn. That word established literally says to turn and face, deliberately face that which you're waiting for, which is for them the harvest and for the Christian. What do we wait for? We wait for the return of Christ, and if we don't see him, that means we're in heaven. That's what a Christian does. We turn and we face him, and we look at him. Our eyes are on him because this stuff, that this, is, this isn't what we look at. We, we look at him. Because when we start to look at this, what do we get? Impatient. We start to get angry. We start to get frustrated. I mean, look, look what happens there in verse 8 or verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right there at the door. Because that's what happens in suffering when a lot of it's coming from people, and that's what was happening here in James with all these churches, is Christians were treating each other this way, hurting each other, causing each other suffering. And he's saying, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. If you start looking at this, you're going to get bitter. You're going to grumble. You're going to slander. You're going to gossip. Why? Because you want your pound of flesh. You want to get even. You want to set things straight and deal with justice kind of thing, whatever. But if we have our eyes on Christ... That stops. And James says, and by the way, that's not a really a good idea to try to get justice and revenge. It's above our pay grade that the judge is standing right there. He just said in chapter 2, I'll give mercy in the same way that you give mercy. That's hard. because we want to make people pay or, or we want them to know. And Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What way are you facing right now in your suffering? Are, are you looking at your suffering? Is your face just set and that's all you think about? And that's all you, and you kind of glance over there, but your whole body is turned towards that which you're going through, and it's not turned to God. You kind of do this rather than do this. Your whole mind, your whole heart, your soul is turned to him. And you kind of look at that, and you look at him. Which way are you facing? Which way is your heart set? The coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord, what, is that? what does that mean? That's such a huge topic. I mean, Revelation's all about that. You see this in Daniel. You see this in Ezekiel prophesied and then Jeremiah, Isaiah. I mean, you know, the prophets talk about it. Jesus talked a lot about heaven. The coming of the Lord, that's, we just sang that song. The victory's won. What does that mean? You know, victory over sin, through the, the cross, the resurrection, victory over Satan. The coming of the Lord means that everything gets set straight. It means complete healing. Sorrows are, are lifted and gone and justice stops. It means being with him. The coming of the Lord, it, it means he, we're like face to face. It means worshiping and falling at his feet. And, and we're, I'm just, what is this? This, this is like a two-minute 
primer on the coming of the Lord. It's so big. It's so all-consuming. It is what we wait for. It is what we have turned our lives to. The seed of heaven has been sown when we said yes to Christ. We're waiting for the harvest. That's what we're doing here. We're waiting, looking at him. to help people understand what he meant by patience and suffering, he brings up the prophets. As an example of suffering in verse 10 and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. The prophets, I mean, Israel killed a lot of the prophets. Jeremiah was like, Lord, would you, would you please take this call off of me? Like, this is getting old, thrown into a, an empty well, left to die. Ezekiel, not enjoying his thing. You read in Hebrews, Hebrews has just this list of what the prophets went through. And those people of God, it says in verse, uh, chapter 11, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. They wandered around in deserts and mountain and in caves and holes in the ground. I mean, we kind of hear this happening even today with Christian brothers and sisters in Egypt and in Syria and Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Sudan, Somalia. I mean, these top 12, 20 nations that persecute Christians. I mean, we kind of hear about this stuff, and you, you hear stories of, of murder and rape and enslavement and, and imprisonment, and it's just awful. And, and he says, blessed are they who are steadfast. Stay true. He introduces this idea that there is a blessing that comes for those whose heart have been set. It's got to be a pretty big blessing when you think about it that could literally overshadow the pain, the sorrow the grind, the exhaustion that suffering can be. If you're suffering, how are you handling it right now? How did you handle it? He brings up Job. Reminds us of Job, says, hey, you, you saw the steadfastness of Job. There's a whole book, if you're new, kind of to following Christ, there's a whole book called Job. It's spelled J-O-B. It looks like Job, but it's actually spelled Joe or said Job. And it's the story of this guy who goes through one of the most famous stories of suffering. And one day he gets a message, a messenger comes to him. And says, hey, these people called the Sabaeans, they, they just took all your oxen and they killed all your servants who were caring for them. No sooner had that servant finished talking than the second messenger came and said, I, I've got bad news. Fire from heaven just has come down and consumed all your sheep and killed all the servants. 
that were caring for them. A third messenger came and said, the Chaldeans just came. They just killed, took all your animals or your camels, rather, and, and they killed all the servants they were caring for them. And, and right on the heels of that, a fourth messenger comes. It's just like one blow after another after another, and the fourth one comes, and it's the worst one because he says, your kids just, they all just died. The house collapsed on them, and they're dead. And Joe is a man, God says, no, this man, his heart is established, is looking at me. I'm telling you, there's no one else like him in the world who, who looks at me and Satan says, yeah, we'll see. And, and all these things come. And God allows this because he knows the heart of his servant. And this is what Job says after hearing all this news. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away May the name of the Lord be praised. Have you been able to say that in your suffering? May the name of the Lord be praised. As deeply personal, as real as it is, have you been able to say, Lord, this is going on. I, it hurts so bad. I'm devastated. May you be praised. God and Satan have another conversation, and Job says, or Satan says, yeah, well, he's still praising you. He's still got his health. Let me take his health, and we'll see what this guy does. God says, okay, I'll allow this, but you can't take his life. Job then is covered with boils all over his skin. His wife comes up and says, why don't you just curse God? And Job said, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? His friends come up to him and they say, Job, you're messed up. It's your sin. Clearly, it's your sin. That's why this is all going on. That's why your life is so bad. And he's weeping and Job's crying. And he's, he, at one point, he's complaining to God, but he loves God. His heart's towards God. And he's complaining. He doesn't understand it. And he, he ends up saying this, I know my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. His heart is still fixed to the end, right? He knows what's going to happen. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I, not another, I'm not going to get this second hand. I'm going to see him with my own eyes. All my heart yearns within me. He wrote, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Is there anyone wavering here in your suffering? Anyone here who is thinking, I can't even take another day? You just wanted to stop. God just comes along and he said, hey, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Set your heart on me. Set your heart on me. Steadfast on me, patient for that end, but set your heart on me. There's a blessing that comes as we look at him and we start to see him clearly. Part of what can happen is we look at that and think, well, that was back then, this is now, what a, you know. I think God wants us to hear from someone who has been in a season of suffering that we know. 
and what is it like? And I've asked Teresa Berry uh, if she could come up and, and just share her story with us. sure that's on. There you go. Everybody say hi to Teresa. Good morning. Uh, you've been in a journey here that's probably been about 20 years uh, of suffering. If you don't know Teresa or didn't know Teresa back in the day, loved volleyball, very active, very athletic, loved to be a part of that, running and, and all that. And then got this news your body wasn't working right and what happened well it was about it was almost 22 years ago I am um, lost vision in one of my eyes and I thought um, it was just partial like half of the vision and I thought maybe it was a retinal tear but um, when I saw uh, one of my physician friends he's like no it's not it's um, it's optic neuritis and I was kind of like well, that's good that's great and then he said well uh, more than likely you'll develop MS. That's kind of, kind of a common road into it. So that was the news that I got. And MS was big. I didn't, I was like MS. Um, essentially what happens is, is your body identifies the covering of the nerves as the enemy and it starts to destroy those. So um, you can have good times and bad times. A lot of times um, um, it will eventually move on to a progression. So it doesn't necessarily stay good, bad, but it'll start to get worse. So that's, he was giving me kind of a life sentence. Um, you moved through those first years all the way through pediatric doctor mm -hmm. and physician um, and it slowly progresses and you get to the point where you know, six years into it, you're having to step down and yeah, I had, um, I had two girls. Um, after the first pregnancy, I had a lot of problems. Um, I, yeah. um, I was having trouble just getting around. And um, I, 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 at that point, as I told Scott, I, um, I, I was struggling. I, I was struggling in my faith. I just didn't even want to go on. I, I was just very Pretty depressed. severe depression. It was severe. It was a severe depression, and I didn't know. I didn't. I could not see a way out of it, and um, and I at that point I did go on medications, and uh, but God did. He, that just kind of bought me time for me to to lean into God um, and allow Him to work in me. Hmm. But it it wasn't. It was not pretty. <laughs> lean into God means what? For me, it was putting my eyes upon Him. I was focused on my circumstances, and I wasn't, um, all I could see was who I was by what I did. I mean, I did a lot of things. I was busy, like many of you, and I didn't, this wasn't on my roadmap. When something like this happens, you're, everything just stops, you know, because you can't do what you used to do. You're exhausted or whatever it happens to be, and um, I was, I needed to, to look to him to provide what I needed. And instead I was used to doing it myself. Yeah. Um, you end up getting pregnant, having second daughter, 
uh-huh. so after your second daughter they uh, actually I came so home. Was, that's right came. Yeah, I came home after her because it, it was just I just couldn't keep going so um, in terms of what they were asking me to do in practice it was like I can't so I came home after her then and then the, the journey through leukemia I right. mean, you have, okay, you have MS, and that's a big enough thing, and then all of a sudden big. you get this news, your daughter has leukemia right. on I was top home, of. Yeah, I was home for about a year and a half, and, they, um, and she was diagnosed with leukemia. And um, at the time that I came home, I really struggled because I didn't want to come home. I wanted, I, I wanted to work, and I wanted to be active that way. And what I didn't realize is that God, in his blessing, gave me that time to be with her. So I didn't have to make those hard decisions about, you know, um, are you going to work today or you got to find somebody to, to take her there. God had already provided a means. I was able to be there for her. And you guys, I mean, that's scary, MS and mm, leukemia. Right. How do you care for a child? Just tell real briefly that yeah. time of prayer. Yeah, I had, um, we, I asked the elders in our, well, our whole church was praying when she was diagnosed. The whole church was praying. And then I, scripturally, I knew that I needed to ask um, the elders to come and pray over us. So they came. Actually, it was pray over her, but they prayed over both of us. And um, at that point, she had, um, she had already received a week of treatment, and um, there was no change in her counts. She was, and we needed to have a change in the counts. Otherwise, we weren't going to remission, nor were we going to cure and so, um, so they prayed over both of us. Um, the response to her prayer was after she had her third bone marrow, um, which was right after they prayed over her, um, I got a phone call that night. They said, we won't call you till the morning. So when I got a phone call that night, I was kind of panicked because I was home alone. And uh, I wasn't ready to hear what they might say. And they said, well, what happened was um, the first person read the... Um, slides and they didn't see any cancerous cells. So they told us, and so the uh, pathologist on staff and her oncologist stayed late to review the slides and they never found a leukemia cell. So I found in that moment she was cured. Yeah. So, but yeah. <laughs> the other part, there was that component, you know, and that's, that's not my story of suffering. My story of suffering was I, I still had MS, and uh, God, he didn't seek to heal it. I mean, I, I sought to heal it, but it, it didn't happen. But what God gave me instead was I had no relapses the whole two and a half years that she was on treatment. So I was able to do what I needed to do to care for her, to, to love on her, which is what you need when you're on chemo. Yeah. So fast forward to present, obviously still fighting MS. Yeah. God hasn't chosen to heal you. Mm-hmm. A lot you've learned in suffering about God and, and life. What would you tell yourself 20 years ago, 22 years ago, of what you've learned about God in suffering and, and how to move in it? Um, well, I've thought more about this from first service. The one thing is I struggled with and I hate to say this, is God good? He's good. I know mm-hmm. that answer. But in that moment, when things are, he's allowing things to happen, that, that was where I was. And I can tell you today, he's good. And number two, he's faithful. And he has, I mean, I just sit here and I'm amazed at how many things that he's spoken into in my life, how many blessings. When he asked me to speak, I was like, I don't suffer. I mean, well, I guess I do because... Standing is sometimes a struggle, and 
walking is hard, but I don't suffer because all I see is how he reaches into my life and gives me what I need for each day and blesses mm. me beyond measure. Hmm. Um, other thoughts? I'm just sorry. I just, <laughs> um, praise songs. Talk about that. Praise songs. I have trouble in praise songs. Um, any song that t- talks about his return and seeing him face to face, I cry because that is my dream. I mean, initially there was a part of me that thought of heaven as just, um, you know, a place of being healed and being able to do all the things that I can't do or um, to even be able to ask God all those hard questions. And now for me, it's just it's seeing him face to face. And that'll, that'll be all I need. Hmm. Um, talk about uh, strength is strength. Strength is strength. Last um, one. God gave me, it's, it was a week ago, I, I received scripture. Um, I was, well, I was just reading in Psalms 84, verses 5 through 7. And... Um, and this is, this is what I want to be. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. This is my life journey. Um, I am I'm heading to Zion. And as they go through the valley of, I don't know, Baca, they make it a place of springs. That valley is our desert places. And I'm finding that God is giving me um, this springs. That's what I see. I see his blessings. I don't see a desert. Hmm. And the early rain also covers it with pools, and then it goes. They go from strength to strength. I don't personally have what I need for each day, but he gives me that strength. And uh, each one appears before God in Zion, and that's where I'm heading. So, Thank you so much. Thank you. Blessed are those who in suffering remain steadfast. You will see the purpose of the Lord and how he's compassionate and merciful. There's a blessing that comes in suffering because there's a gift of all of a sudden in a way that nothing else can. We see this life for what it is and we see him for who he is and it just gets clear. It gets really clear. And the blessing that comes is all of a sudden, he's clear. Like him and only him. He's all I need. He's all I want. This life, it's good, but it's only as good as he's in it. That's the blessing of of seeing him and saying, oh, I I just want to see you come. I just want you and you only. And and you see his compassion. He says his compassion and merciful, like these plans he has. And, And we think, Lord, what are you doing? And then we start to realize, that's what you're doing? You're, 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 you're stripping away, and, and, and yet you're compassionate. You send people, and you send love, and you meet us. And there's just nothing else but Christ. He shouts mercy over us, and he shouts compassion over us, and he, 
He directs our paths to these springs in the desert that are springs of mercy and springs of compassion. And we sit in those moments and we just weep because he sees us and he knows us. If you are in suffering, and and it's not just a thing or one theme, it's multiple themes. If you're headed into it, if you're coming out of it, how are you facing? Are you you facing him? Are you facing that? Are you facing him saying, Lord, I'm patient. I'll wait. I'll wait. Just bring me your love. Bring me that compassion. Bring me that mercy. Hold me. Invite the team to come up.